Welcome to another episode of the Carousel Dick Jokes Podcast. I'm your host, Cracked Writer, Chris Rademile. And today joining me, I have Jacques Ferrer Sargent, Cracked Columnist and Editor. What up? And then we today we also have Cracked Writer, Amanda Manon, Mana. Hi. That was a thrilling intro. That's it? You just, just <laughs> hi. Just, hi. Hey, boys. What do you want me to say? Something wacky, so we know what kind of character you are. Already cracking under the pressure. <laughs> we have Mana Stage Fright Manon. <laughs> Mana Grace Under Pressure Manon. Mana Banana Fanta. Fanta. Santa. I'm out. Me, my, mo, Mana. So anyway, what are we talking about today? Chris? Today we are going to be talking about alternate pop culture theories. So, like, there's a popular theory that all the Pixar movies occur in the same universe based on evidence in the movies and different... I guess, cameos in each Pixar movie that uh, implies continuity between them. Um, what's another? There's an idea that James Bond is a title that they give to different secret agents. Yeah, the, they, that uh, that's why he keeps changing you know, the people, um, even though he has the same name, is that they just all end up dying and then they bring in someone else to be the new James Bond. Right, and, and clearly it's, it's not, there's, in that one in particular, there's no... There's not really any evidence in the movies. There's clearly no intention by the creators to do that. They just play very fast and loose with continuity between the movies. And it's very much about just telling self-contained stories about James Bond. But fans watching the movies over and over and over again have tried to construct a reality where they it does make where it does make sense and there is continuity. And in doing that, they they came up with this idea to kind of make the movies make sense. And it's, you know, it's it's a fun way to look at our favorite pop culture thingies. Yeah, it's a just makes you look at it in a different way and sort of consider things that you hadn't looked at before. So we've all come up with our our own uh, theories about different uh, universes. My theory is about. (laughs) ending of how i met your mother um for those who don't know the this frame of this story is that this guy voiced by bob saget who's supposedly ted has been the main character ted has been telling his kids the story of how he met their mother through the whole show and they cuts forward infrequently to these two kids on a couch while this unseen guy is telling the story but we're on the ninth season of the show and this is the first time the mother has even shown up as a character so we have Eight, eight seasons, which is eight years of this dude's life that's been recounted to these kids about how he met the mother and the mother hasn't actually shown up. And uh, we haven't even gotten to the point where he actually meets the mother yet. We have two episodes left of this, uh, as of this recording. And there's been a whole bunch of theories about what's going to happen at the end that have floated around the internet. People have assumed that the mother might die and that's why he's telling the kids about it. Uh, well, I mean, we know that they're going to meet because we've seen their first date at this point. It cut forward. But we don't know what's going to happen afterwards or anything like that you know if there's going to be a twist and there's been a hint that there's been some element of tragedy we uh we had a, a shot of them having the married ted and, and this unnamed woman having a dinner where they're both an old married couple and at one point the mother says what kind of mother would miss her own daughter's wedding and ted gets all sad and then she comforts him and tells him to stop living in the past and everyone took that as a sign that uh the mother's going to die, which it does seem like because that's kind of a, a, a trend when, when someone is dying. They are the ones who will comfort everybody around them. But I feel like that's kind of too obvious. 
And since it's come up and been a theory for so long, I don't think they're going to go with that one. And I think that's kind of too blatant of a red herring. They would have, if they were going to imply it that strongly, they would have just told us. So what I think is going to happen is that Ted's going to die. And the voice, uh, the guy who's been announced reading this this whole time, is going to be a godfather character. Because it's Bob Saget's voice. It's not Ted. Ted is played by another actor, Josh Radner. It's going to be another character reading this story to his kids. Because if he's telling his kids about how he met their mother and it's all stories of him sleeping with women he met in bars and having other relationships that's just a really and the mother is dead that's really <laughs> creepy and the implied uh, threesome yeah and the implied there's an implied threesome that's that's a sort of psychotically <laughs> you know, narcissistic, awful way to tell someone about their dead mother to just talk about yourself for eight years <laughs> before you even get to her. Um, so it makes way more sense if they're reading a story about the father's life to the kids after he's passed on. That I think, is the conclusion that I am betting on. I think that point about how it's not Ted's voice who is reading uh, or telling the stories is amazing. I got chills up my spine when I read that. Like, that's a really good point, dude. Why is it not his voice? And the writers and the actress who plays the mother have actually come out to say, no, the mother is not going to die. That's not what happens. And you're right. That is kind of too much of a red herring. This show has a habit of making us think something is going to happen. And then it's something completely different. But they are clearly discussing, like, an impending tragedy in that that whole dinner scene is just really tense like some people have said they think that it's something about ted's mom i don't think that makes any sense because yeah she's not an entity i don't know who she is yeah like she's barely a character and because that whole dinner scene is so tense and like why would ted still be so broken up about it all these years later like he almost breaks down crying when she she makes that comment and that's just silly that's not what's going to happen. Yeah. And don't they actually kind of imp- sort of start implying that in the previous episode when they show the mother going into labor? Like, they kind of imply that there's some sort of complication with it? Or am I just oh, misremembering I that? I don't, I don't remember, remember that, but I believe you. Yeah, like, I thought very... she was, like, like experienced unusual pain or something like that. Like, I, I feel like she makes some comment about it being unusual or has a bad feeling about it. Mm. But I might just be making that up. I have all the... I, I mean, I watch <laughs> it on Amazon <laughs> Prime. Wait, I could check. <laughs> Go watch How I Met Your Mother yeah, right now. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, then the podcast has 30 minutes of just silence. Yeah, What's and up, it's Brad? not like – it would be really sad because uh, as someone else on the internet pointed out to me on my Facebook group when I – because I wrote a I wrote something about this on my Tumblr. Uh, and someone pointed out to me that the mother, her former – like the, the, the love of her life died. That's already happened to her when she was 21. That's yeah. the – how we meet that's the the earliest point of her life that we see is her getting news that this guy that she's gonna marry and be with forever and is really happy with has been killed we don't know how so it would be kind of pretty pretty huge for that to happen to her twice but this show has never pulled a punch as far as i can remember yeah Yeah, it's not like there's any rule that like you only get one big tragedy right they're like, not, that's not how it works They're not, in they're not quite to the Game of Thrones level, but yeah, they have no, <laughs> they have no problem just killing off characters. Yeah. Well, they killed off um, Marshall's dad. Yeah. Is that the only character they've killed off? Um, mm, I think so. Yeah, I think that's the only one they've killed off, but there there have been other tragedies, too. And now yeah, I'm yeah. scrambling huh. to remember what they are. Well, no, uh, we found out when we found out that Robin couldn't have kids. That oh, was right, right, right. Major punch in the heart. And I uh, like I'd compare this show 
I mean, it is. This is a. This is like a fairly fluffy primetime sitcom. Uh, you know, it's not. You know, Game of Thrones. It's not Game of Thrones, but. <laughs> Um, I'd like to, and this is a weird comparison, but I want to compare it to Doctor Who really quick because <laughs> uh, I'm serious. During Ted Russell, is the Doctor. <laughs> yeah, no, no, <laughs> that would be quite a twist. During the doc, like Russell T. Davis, well, actually, all the writers for Doctor Who, they will constantly hint at something terrible happening, and then something not as terrible as they hint it happens, and it's always just really frustrating. The really big example is at the end of, I think it's the second season, Rose, the beginning of the final, like, the big, uh, like, multi-episode arc that ends the series, it comes with Rose, and she's a main character, she's the Doctor's companion, she looks right at the camera, and in a voiceover says, this is the story of how I died. And then at the end of dun, this, dun, dun. this arc, she doesn't die at all. She's in love with the Doctor, but they can't be together because he's a Time Lord. They make a clone of him that's human and can live with her forever. And they go get married and live happily ever after in a parallel universe. With And her family goes with her. And she gets a great job and gets the happiest ending that anyone has ever had <laughs> in the history of storytelling. With this and, show, though, it's like it's almost the opposite of that because they, yeah. they set us up for something bad. And then it's way worse. Yeah, like every- when Marshall's dad died, you know, we thought the entire episode it was going to be about how they can't have children. No, actually, turns out your father's dead. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. And, and, and with, um, with the Robin thing, the way, they, the way they tell you that Robin can't have kids. Is- yeah, we think she's just ha- experiencing an unintended pregnancy, but no, no, it's so much worse. Yeah, she she thinks she's having an unintended pregnancy. And she's telling uh, the episode begins with her talking to her future kids, like in a right. mirror, and then you find out that she's they're imaginary, and she's saying goodbye to them on a park bench alone in the middle of the night. That was like, so sad. In the snow. So yeah, in the snow. <laughs> I cried like a little bitch. I am not yeah. ashamed. So given what we know that the show has that tendency to do that, I think it would make a lot of sense if. They did set us up to think the mother was going to die. It turns out to be the main fucking character the whole time. I don't think it's going to (laughs) happen because that would be insane, but that would make a lot of sense. I'm so resistant to it just because the Bob Saget point is really good, but I've just always kind of accepted from the beginning that this is just a weird thing that they do. Because they even make fun of it in Family Guy where he says something like, well, Ted's already an adult in the show, right? Like, does he grow up again into Bob Saget? (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it it is it makes a lot of sense from like a storytelling standpoint. We, if it would be too much Ted, if if it was Josh Radner narrating, but it, it allows us to kind of think of the narrator as a different character and just kind of ease up on the because Ted is irritating. <laughs> yeah. You don't like Ted? He's my least favorite part of that show. <laughs> Nobody ever likes a straight man. Yeah, he's just and I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I think he's kind of endearing, but it would get a bit much in real life, I think. Yeah, if he were narrating, I would be really sick of him. <laughs> right now, I, I, he's just kind of dorky and and sort of kind of out of place among the other characters because the other characters are sort of broad archetypes, and he's supposed to be a little bit more nuanced, but isn't. But not. <laughs> I'm just nitpicking the writing of the show. I love the show. I watch it. It's the only show that's on right now that I'm actively watching and keeping track of. Oh, Sarge, you also forgot your uh, your favorite tragic moment of all when uh, when Ted has to let Robin go. Oh my God. <laughs> Oh Jesus Christ! In a recent <laughs> metaphor, I can't even describe it. There's this metaphor. He, it cuts back to Ted has this tragic moment as a childhood where he lets go of a balloon and he has to watch it fly away and he never gets over it. And then the, at this end of this episode that symbolizes him getting over Robin because that's been like a like a thing for the show. Like he's still in love with Robin, which is also irritating. Like, 
discover yourself. Find a new friend group, dude. That's you gotta. Uh, but <laughs> and then the way they show him getting over Robin is they shake hands. He lets go of her, and she floats away into the sky like a balloon. <laughs> so fucking stupid. I couldn't handle it all because I'm generally really high when I watch this show. <laughs> It was a great episode because Britannic was on this one, which is a, a, a comedy show. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that was that one, that. huh? They were fantastic, and it was probably one of the funniest kind of B stories that the show has ever had. And then all of a sudden, this, like, fucking ham-fisted. Awful, like, <laughs> I can't even think of a proper ad- <laughs> adjective here, but just this insane, ridiculous moment where Robin just lifts into the air in this really obvious, like, wire thing and, like, floats off into the sky, and I'm laying there in bed really high, like, trying to stop the TV from doing this to me. <laughs> <laughs> in front of me and my palm, just like, no, stop! <laughs> like, squirming in my bed, but I can't look away because... <laughs> stoned it was <laughs> yeah that, that was a pretty bad ending because i i thought that the the whole setup to it and them talking about it was actually fairly well done and then yeah. he lets go over and she floats away I'm like god damn you, you undid everything that you just did how do you expect me to take anything you just did seriously <laughs> uh yeah that's that's my thought that's my prediction about how i met your mother is going to end this is going to be interesting because we're going to find out in two weeks is it if, yeah yeah if you're it's... wrong uh, well, no, less uh, in a week from Monday. Oh, yeah, you're uh, right. March 22nd. So now, now you'll know exactly how long it takes Chris to put to edit a podcast. <laughs> Whenever you hear this. Well, I picked a uh, safer theory that you'll never actually be able to prove I'm wrong. So really, I'm the smarter <laughs> one here. So my theory is about Forrest Gump. Now, in in the movie, and in, we're going to discuss a little bit about the book. But you know, you don't have to have read the book, but um, it, it's important to the theory. But anyway. The whole thing of Forrest Gump is that he continually, he sort of stumbles into uh, success after success and is basically just awesome at everything he does, but everyone thinks he's an idiot anyway. And my theory is that Forrest Gump stumbles into success a little too often just to be coincidence, and so I think that he's not dumb at all or suffers from some sort of intellectual disability, but that he has dyslexia. So the evidence for this is, first off, that everything he does that doesn't involve reading, he's pretty much awesome at. He he's uh, he nails bubblegum shrimp. Yeah, he, he's bubblegum shrimp. He's a Congressional Medal of Honor winning soldier. Even in boot camp, everyone is telling, or the uh, drill sergeant is telling him how great he is. Drill sergeants never tell you you're good at anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, he was a uh, All American football player, a college graduate, a self made millionaire. Well, I guess Lieutenant Dan's the, the investor. ping pong table. He, oh yeah, he's, he's a ping pong champion. Friends with Gary Sinise, which is pretty cool. He meets like three presidents, <laughs> and um, he says stupid shit to all of them. And then in the book, he is also a astronaut, a chess champion, and a world famous musician. So clearly, he he has something going on upstairs, and it, like this isn't just accident that he's accidentally good at everything. Um, and in the book, he actually makes the comment that he can think things pretty good, but when he tries saying or writing them, it kind of come out like Jello. Which right, and, and that, that's that... a pretty good description of dyslexia just not being able to read. And then there's also evidence that um, there's a survey done on entrepreneurs. One third of entrepreneurs identified themselves as dyslexic and 40% of self-made millionaires are dyslexic, which is pretty solid evidence, I think. And some of the other symptoms of dyslexia, it's, it's not just it, like sometimes or it often is like mainly about reading, but it's not necessarily restricted to that. And uh, another uh, another symptom of dyslexia is tendency to take people literally, 
which sort of explains some of the things he does, like when the president tells him he wanted to see his wound, and he just kind of pulls down his pants and shows him his ass. <laughs> or when uh, John F. Kennedy asks him, what was he asking? Oh, how does it feel to be an All-American? And he says he has to pee. <laughs> but we see that it starts out, he's a kid with leg braces on, which already makes him easily pick onable. And uh, if he has untreated dyslexia, everyone thinks he's going to idiot anyway. And then when he uh, gets out of Alabama, people still seem to think that of him because of his untreated dyslexia, but also because of his southern accent, which uh, studies have found people perceive others with southern accents to be less intelligent, regardless of how intelligent they actually are. It's like almost by a factor of two. I think that's so fascinating that we all... Because it's totally true. Yeah. I, <laughs> like the I more, the more southern that. your accent, it, like the most southern accent was found to be almost 50% less intelligent or perceived to be 50% less intelligent than a person with a normal or a neutral accent. And I'm Alabama too busy being hypnotized by that sexy drawl than I am to think about how smart they might be personally. Mm, get as exaggerated as you can with that. So. Absolutely. So is Forrest Gump just like intensely erotic the entire time for you? A little bit. Deny. <laughs> I may not be a smart man. That's right. That's the shit. That's right a spot there. on. That is that is a spot on Forrest oh, Gump. I want to listen to Man of Stone Sex he, now. When, and then when he's do all, the accent. <laughs> and then when he's all assembling that rifle Man, and uh. just like killing it, I'm just like. What I'm saying is I have a Forrest Gump fetish. I just found this out about myself. So I'm <laughs> glad this that I could take you guys on that journey with me. I really don't want to go there. <laughs> you love it. That way madness lie. <laughs> um, man is life. We're always going there one way or another. <laughs> I'm taking you by force. <laughs> You're coming. <laughs> you were asking for it, Sarge. <laughs> but yeah, like. So people with uh, southern accents, we perceive to be less intelligent. And a uh, survey of the southern region found that people from Alabama have the most southern, quote unquote, accent. So that kind of explains why everyone thinks he's an idiot, despite everything he does. But we, we actually see that he, like, as the movie progresses, he does become more mature. Um, he, do, he does odd things and kind of has weird social habits. But I think part of that's just being sheltered by his mom his whole life and not having any friends except Jenny. But, like, when he goes to, uh, when he gets his Medal of Honor and is touring Washington, D.C., he gets pulled on stage to do a, uh, to give a speech against Vietnam by anti-war protesters. And the guy asks him, says something like, tell us about the war in Vietnam. And he apparently gives this great, eloquent speech that makes the presenter cry, but we don't hear it in the movie because somebody pulls out the microphone cord. But we, we see evidence that he can convey emotions and or complex feelings very uh, succinctly and expressively. And later in the movie, he does manage to like express very mature emotions uh, with Jenny and have uh, a complex relationship with her. I guess that is that the best way to phrase that. He marries so. her. Like he has he has a fulfilling adult relationship with her. He's definitely charismatic. And you know, he has that way of pulling people in, even though he's acting really is he, awkward. Like, is he charismatic like like you think of a leader, or is he charismatic like a puppy? Right. I feel, I feel like, like it's more like a puppy. Like people, oh, he's kind of cute. Well, no, I don't know. Like when he starts, you know, talking to people on the bench, and people are like, oh, this, is this weird guy. But he really pulls them in in that way that people who are charismatic, which is basically just the ability to absorb the and reflect the feelings of other people. You can't really do that if you're not capable upstairs. So that's interesting. So you're saying people with... I'm saying I'm on board. <laughs> people, now, with, people with disabilities can't be interesting, man. Is that what you're saying? You're really turning this around on me? 
<laughs> Are we gonna bring up the R word? Well, I think. <laughs> I think. Uh, I mean, I think the obvious things that that stand out is that he he does he forgets how how water works at one point when he's on a he's on a Wait, boat really? and he sees I, I, he sees Gary Sinise. Half the movie. You really gotta finish watching this. Yeah. Goddamn movie. <laughs> I never finished watching it. I was going that to. So I was like, oh great. We're redoing like, this so I can watch the whole movie now, and I completely forgot to do that. I feel that. like some of us just aren't taking this podcast as seriously. I don't names, but... Man, <laughs> if you're not going to take carousel dick jokes seriously, then you need to just get off. <laughs> but anyway, you were, you were saying about uh, him jumping off the boat. Because he, he, right. he does have stupid moments, like when he... Go ahead, you can explain. Yeah, he sees Gary Sinise on the dock, and he's like, Lieutenant Dan, and runs over to him and just runs off the boat. <laughs> and, and you know... But and that's the- a thing that any of us could do. Exactly. Because we're stupid as shit sometimes. I'm not, yeah, I'm not going to put that past myself. I, oh, no. I've done very dumb things. One time I'm I... Absolutely pulled- tumbling off that boat if I'm excited about something. One time I just dumped raw beef into my pasta sauce thinking I will cook it with the pasta sauce. Oh, dear. I didn't eat it because I realized like five minutes in, like, what? (laughs) Wait a minute. Something seems amiss here. Wait a minute. I forgot a key step. So, yeah, I can see myself forgetting I'm on a boat and just... I'm on a... Okay, I can't do that. No, Especially you're done. <laughs> you were done before you start. You see... You see Especially if I saw Gary Sinise, right? <laughs> right? There he is. Any one of us are just running blindly toward Gary Sinise. Yeah, to hug him and, him and just do all those things we've always dreamed about. I think we'll leave that one unsaid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I so... Now, I think... I, I gotta admit, I really wasn't sure about this theory until you brought up how dyslexic people tend to take people literally that explains everything mm-hmm. and him just about being, his strange behavior yeah, and coupled with a little bit of social awkwardness and just also right. also the i i say this like because I, I, I went to school in georgia so i lived in the south for five years that they do have a tendency to just kind of chat at people regardless Did of you what you're actually listening accent? What's down that? in Georgia. Did you ever get an accent down no, in Georgia? No, I did no. let a y'all slip, like, unintentionally once, and that's about as southern as I ever got. Oh, that's too bad. Sorry. Uh, but, yeah, so I actually looked up, um, you can look up what uh, he says during that Vietnam rally. Uh, oh, okay. can you? Yeah, I just, I just did, according to Why Tom Hanks. Why are you just now bringing this up? Because <laughs> I for, couldn't figure out a way to work it into the conversation. Well. Uh, and I'm bad at just blurting things out when I think about him. He apparently what he says, according to IMDb, is uh well I now I'm gonna s I don't wanna do the accent. Do it, do it, do it. Do, it. do the accent. Do <laughs> the accent. Can't do it. <laughs> no. I'll, I'll, I'll try to quiet my masturbation Um they go home to their mamas without any legs. Sometimes they don't go home at all. That is a bad thing. That's all I have to say about that. And that is perfect. That is that that summarizes <laughs> Vietnam. Well, you say it. You say it with your perfect ass. Well, no, it's, it's just not as poignant as I was hoping. Here's my Forrest Gump. Sometimes when people go to Vietnam, they go home without their mamas. <laughs> Wait. I, <laughs> I didn't even read it now right. Now you're English. Right. Now, I'm just, now I'm just full of shit. What's going on? That it is a pretty good speech. They go home to their mamas without any legs. They go home oh. to their mamas without any oh. legs. Oh. That's a bad. Guys, I can't handle this. Not handling it. We gotta stop. 
Sometimes the people go to Vietnam, they go home. <laughs> Sometimes they don't go home at all. That's a bad thing. That's all I have to say I'm about that. I'm really glad that, that we have on record uh, you guys mocking a disabled person's He's not disabled. Voice. <laughs> An allegedly disabled person's voice. I'm glad that's been saved for posterity. It's oh, a, I also found a thing that there's a correlation between hand-eye coordination and intelligence. Finds the ping pong. Also, fun Wait, fact: is it, it, not what actually. What is the correlation between hand-eye coordination and intelligence? That people who are intelligent tend to have better hand-eye coordination. Eh, it's obviously not true. <laughs> well, that's a, <laughs> that's I say my as argument. I miss my face with my soda. See, it clearly can't be true. Now I'm wondering, like, is it a like? I'm wondering if it how if it is offensive for us to kind of be flippant about Tom Hanks' disability in this movie because the movie is fairly flippant with it. There is a lot of comedy beats where we're supposed to be laughing at because if, if the movie is presented the way most people interpret it, which is this guy's intellectually disabled, there are a shitload of comedy beats like "haha, look at the disabled guy fall down," like the scene where he <laughs> runs off the boat at Gary Sinise. We're supposed to laugh at that shit. And There's like, also creep ass Jenny taking advantage of him. Yeah, he gets that's <laughs> that's switch no... the genders in that... that scene, guys. It's creepy as shit. If an intellectually disabled woman were at college and some guy that knew her from hometown showed up and they had sex, that would be... And, like, the well, way but they didn't she have sex. Because, like, she just kind of, like... Right, but... She, like, gro- or has him grope her and then he premature ejaculates. And evidently he's telling the story to the woman on the bench, too. Right. Because <laughs> later it cuts back and he's still talking. <laughs> yeah, that must have been kind of awkward. But, like, imagine, like... I got a boner. <laughs> Got that couch in her hand. Imagine a grown man saying, like, you know, hey, disabled girl, you ever been with a man before? And she's just, like, (laughs) not, she's clearly uncomfortable with it. And he just, like, puts her hand on his dick. Like, that's assault, you guys. (laughs) This is not funny. Yeah, there's a lot that's fucked up. But it becomes less creepy if he's just dyslexic. So right. maybe, maybe that explains it. That. Maybe that explains it. Because Jenny is, I mean, she's kind of a bitch to him, but she's not like like evil, really. I feel like if he really was disabled, that would be kind of evil. So right. maybe like so, she spent enough time with him to realize that he's not dumb. He's just dyslexic. Yeah, I think that what we should re- what we're really establishing with this podcast is why we should be able to laugh at handicapped people. <laughs> I have been an advocate for this for many years. Yeah, but. We have another theory to talk about, I believe. We do. We have Manus theory about destroying people's childhood. Okay, it won't ruin your childhood, but it will break your goddamn heart and make you understand things you didn't understand before. All right, Manus, so talk about Beauty and the Beast. Just keep going then. All right. <clears throat> so f- first we need to establish the rules because there's so much about this movie that just makes no sense. So we're going to try to figure out together what the hell is going on here about this weird like time flux situation that they're in. Can we uh, can we back up a bit and explain like the basic plot? Okay, so basically the plot of the movie is that uh, there's this selfish spoiled prince and this enchantress shows up who I guess just goes around targeting asshole people and testing them. I'm not sure what her game is, but she shows up at his castle one day and she's disguised herself as an old beggar woman and asks for shelter for the night. And he says no, because he's a dick, even though, I mean, really all of us are going to make that same decision. 
do not let random hobos into your house, guys. <laughs> it's kind of like the Christmas it, Carol theory of morality where people with magical powers are just finding rich people and making them feel bad about themselves rather than solving yeah. inequality and starvation. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, continue. So, Sorry for interrupting. No, it's okay. So since he was a dick, she was like, I'm going to turn you guys all into inanimate objects except you. You get to be this monstrous lion bear hybrid. And she gives him an enchanted rose that she says will bloom until his 21st birthday, at which point it's going to start wilting. And unless he can make someone love him before the last petal falls, he's going to be a beast forever. If he can make someone love him, then he gets to change back into his beautiful Dorian Gray form. (laughs) Just full-on Bradley Cooper, right? He's going to become Bradley Cooper. He pretty much is that. Like... Yeah, so where was I? Okay, so the only piece of evidence we actually have for how much time has passed in Be Our Guest when the candlestick guy, Lumiere, says that they've been under the spell for 10 years. So that's the only thing we know about this weird time flux that everybody seems to be in. Most people take that to mean that the prince was 11 years old when the spell was cast because the rose blooms until his 21st birthday. But I don't think that's true. All the evidence points to that not being true. For example, okay. that causes weird problems like this kid Chip, who is a teacup, when, when he turns back, we see that he's this tiny little boy, like he's five or six years old. We can see Mrs. Potts holding him. He's a little, little boy, like no older than maybe seven. So what the fuck is going on with Chip? Like, were there was there a giant like teapot orgy in the cupboard? And then Mrs. Potts spat him out through her spout. <laughs> I really That's like that theory. Why does it have to be an orgy? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the candelabra. Because that's how babies are made, Sarge. Keep I think, up. I think you can have sex with one it had, of them. It had to be an orgy. <laughs> I mean, maybe the candelabra just kind of, you know, set his took the candle off his head and set it in the teapot. And then a, well, no, it's a, a be, teacup came it's out. It's got to be another dishware thing because otherwise it would be like half teapot, half candle. Are we sure? Do we know that's how the biology of, of enchanted dishware? Like... I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Well, how do you know she can't – she's already given birth to a slightly different kind of kitchen utensil. Like, it, she's not given birth to baby teapots. She doesn't? What else does she have? Well, she has, she has that little cup. It's a teacup. <laughs> she gives birth to a teacup. She has an entire oh, cup. Right. Actually, that lends credence. Maybe to that's just like the baby form of a teapot, though. So are all my teacups going to grow into teapots? If they're that under a magic spell. See, I'm wondering, like, is, is this is this magic practical? Do you grow into something in a, such a way that is the life cycle of an enchanted teacup? Um, the larval stage. <laughs> does it work in such a way that is um, conducive to a, a functioning ch- kitchen? Like, is he going to grow into, like, a mug that would be helpful? Or, you know, maybe it's kind of like an adaptive evolution thing where he's going to grow into whatever the beast really needs. I feel in like his. we're getting off topic. Yeah, that's an interesting theory, Sarge. I think next podcast is going to be the biological life cycle. The of implications dishware. are. I actually really like that theory too, just because that means when Chip gets transferred back into a human, he now is a bipedal life form that has no experience walking. <laughs> right. Wait. He's going to hop everywhere. <laughs> Like, he's going to try and stand up and immediately fall over. But, <laughs> he's so used to being incredibly top-heavy. <laughs> but that clearly doesn't happen. So That's true. He does pretty What do you think is more likely, that there's this giant orgy that necessitates the making of babies, in my mind, 
or that maybe they don't age. While Wait, how do you guys have babies? <laughs> yeah, yeah like, I'm the only one with an actual child here. Maybe you guys have just been doing it wrong. That's true. I'm not going to debate, Mana, where babies come from. Right. They have to come from orgies. <laughs> okay, that's so... That's why you guys so, don't have babies. Okay, so, what, so to get no. back to the topic, what we're, we're talking about where Chip came from. Yeah, what's the uh, the next yeah. rule of your theory? So the the first rule is that they they haven't aged, like they were put under the curse, and as time passes, they haven't actually aged. Right, which gets Are us we... into some other kind of weird territory where we technically have like a fifteen year old boy and a five year old's body. That's got to be kind of weird for him. So it seems most likely that they just don't age while they're under the spell. So then uh, another weird thing about Chip is that his alleged mother, Mrs. Potts, is like 60 goddamn years old. You, know, you see her when she transforms back. She's all white-haired and, like, she's clearly old. Like, this Smell is mini... Pause. Are you this sure is... she's... Are you implying that she's post-menopausal? Right. Like, has to be. Okay, do you think she went through menopause as a teacup? Or, no, a teapot? No, no, because they don't age. Never mind. Right. I was so... just thinking hot flashes. <laughs> 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 You sure think you're cute, don't you? Oh, Sarge, you're adorable. Okay. So there's no fertility clinics in medieval France. I'm pretty sure this woman cannot be this little boy's biological mother. So then we're left with the question, who has a reason to stash a child away with Mrs. Potts and try to make us all believe that she's his real mother? Aladdin. It's not Aladdin. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't the crossover theory. Sorry. <laughs> I get scared when I don't hear my own voice for a while. <laughs> I mean, like, let's look at, you know, the usual suspects. Look at everyone in the castle. They're all servants. Who cares if they have some illegitimate child? They wouldn't have to pretend somebody else is their parent and have them raise them. But you know who does have a reason to disguise an illegitimate child? Possibly the royal person in the castle? Ooh. Ooh. So here's how I... <laughs> Poor Sarge just left out. So here's how it went down. The prince could have been any age up to 21 when the spell was cast. It could have been the day before his 21st birthday. That rose could have been wilting for the last 10 years. For all we know, it loses one petal a year. It's a magic rose. We don't know. So he's anywhere up to age 21. That's plenty of time for baby making in medieval France. You know, 13, 14 year old kids. It's not uncommon for them to be making babies. True. So Fucked my up. theory is that he falls in love with some peasant girl who he's not allowed to marry because he's royal and that just wouldn't be wouldn't be fitting. And she has a baby, leaves the baby on the porch, knowing that it would have a better life there at the castle. In all likelihood, has died during childbirth because she never shows up again. Wait, if she died, how is she going to leave it on the porch? Somebody else in her family fucking did that. I don't know. <laughs> okay, kidding you. <laughs> <laughs> we will get through this. This is my favorite theory. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Please, please, Leia, let's include this theory so I can talk more about how dishware procreates. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have, like, like sketching diagrams? and? <laughs> Actually, yes. I want, a, I want diagrams! Sarge's anatomy. <laughs> okay. Where, fucking where was I? 
So she drops off the kid on the porch. Uh, but he can't acknowledge it as his child because that would create a scandal. So instead, they, you know, they have him raised as Mrs. Potts's son so that nobody is the wiser. And this explains everything about why the Beast is such a dick. Who wouldn't be after such a traumatizing experience? He has to live in that castle every day with this child that he created with his one true love who has tragically passed from this world and he's not allowed to show any affection or even really acknowledge the boy because it would be suspicious. How sad is that? It's pretty sad. Your heart is, your heart is broken right now. I can hear it. I can hear it shattering just well, as... Well, what I'm wondering... It sounds just like that cupboard orgy. <laughs> See, I, I, don't, I don't know if I buy that um, they don't age because I don't think there is any... Like... How do we know oh. that he wasn't I just a little kid? I do have one piece of evidence. After the beast has been transformed, there's this there's this montage where he's all you know he's still in his anger stage about uh-huh. being about being a beast, and he's going around and he's rampaging through the castle. He claws at a portrait of his adult self. How does oh. he have that portrait if he's eleven years old when the spell is cast? Got it. Maybe it's yeah. like maybe it's like the mommy. What will I look like from Arrested Development? Or <laughs> see him change back, and he looks exactly like that portrait. Do we know it's him, or is it a? Uh, is could that be an ancestor? Because in cartoon worlds, you look exactly like your ancestors. Yeah, but again, like, what's the more likely theory? Let's go off yeah, razor. Yeah, we, uh, fair what's enough. More likely that he happens to have an ancestor that looks a lot like him, and has decided to claw at it. Well, if we use the, the there is. Or because he's angry that he doesn't look like that anymore. And also, it's in, in his bedroom. Yeah, know. it's kind of weird to have portraits of your great uncle over your bed. That's true. I yeah. certainly don't have one of those. No, I'm not saying <laughs> I'm not guilty. <laughs> but if we... Well, I don't know. I want the the Beast to be the father of Chip and the Chip to have been conceived while he was a Beast and the mother was a teapot or possibly a feather duster. Actually, if if they did that with if they did it while they were transformed, I think the only person he like like of proper size that he could have copulated with is the wardrobe. Oh, <laughs> oh, well, that makes sense. Well, and, no, yeah, you, like you think beast lacks him big. You couldn't fuck a feather duster. Not if you're no. a beast. <laughs> He's like the size of a grizzly bear. No, but I want to go back to the life cycle of Chip. All right. Because there is sort of, you get turned into what your job was, right? And his job was being a little version of Mrs. Potts. I don't know if, if that's necessarily true. I mean, for some of it, it is. Like, they kind of implied that the oven is a chef or was a chef beforehand. Mm-hmm. But, like, what the hell is Lumiere, like, before that? A guy who... He's like the host. Yeah. That's thing. Well, how's that a candelabra? He's a major D. Well, because he runs around being the light. That's definitely, yeah, that's definitely. Metaphorically. I know this because I've watched Downton Abbey once, but I don't remember what it's called. A valet? Yeah. Is that right? Is he a valet? Well, there's the butler, and then there's the valet, there's the footman. Wait, valet? Yeah. Do you mean? Yeah, I know. I, want, I keep wanting to say, no, it's a valet, but no, to- you totally yeah. pronounce it valet. Well, I have another thought. If the beast is going to so calm down when he turns 21, they end up together at the end, right? I'm just assuming. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Bell and, Bell and Prince beasts man they decide to just be friends like <laughs> <laughs> i don't really like you in that way we're gonna have a healthy 
friendship. And that, that Belle clearly has Stockholm syndrome. Yeah, also the You know, the, I disagree yeah, with that. Relationship. Because she falls in love with him because he changes. It sounds weird to say that like, oh well he stops chaining her up in the basement. Like that should be like baseline, you know, you don't get a medal for that. But like he does stop being a dick. And she doesn't like him until he does that. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of its own bad message because no, don't try to change them. It's not it's not gonna work. But yeah. Guy keeps almost clawing your face off. <laughs> Don't stay with him. He doesn't keep almost clawing her face. If there are any teenage girls in the audience. If a if a boy tries to claw your face off, even once. Don't try and change it. Don't try it. Yeah, don't try and change it because it's not going to work. But like, he's not going to magically transform into the way they're portraying it. It did work, so it's not. (laughs) It's okay that she falls in love with him. It's not Stockholm syndrome. It's just being like, oh, good, you're you're not an asshole anymore. Oh yeah, but the movie is advocating abusive relationships. Like it sets up a situation where an abusive relationship works out, which is stop ruining childhood, Sarge. It's just Mana's theory. Am I wrong? Well. Because it's not abusive She wants anymore. to have a prince, okay? Just let her have a prince. <laughs> you know, it, it doesn't... But I don't have one! But no. the idea, like, the movie is saying, if you are in an abusive relationship... I just want to know why they won't change, guys. keep loving him until he gets cute. <laughs> yeah, I gotta say, that does not work. Also, the the fact that he's, like, hideous, when uh, his hideousness makes him angry, but then he turns hot and suddenly becomes cool. <laughs> it's, like, super not a great message. Like, it doesn't go so far as the Wizard of Oz to blatantly say, only evil people are ugly, but <laughs> it implies that. Right, and like, and when the ench- with the Enchantress, like, first she's all, like, That's old true. and warty, but then she's okay. like, surprise, I'm actually this beautiful Enchantress, and he's like, oh, fuck. Call her not, like, this, this, like, it's, like, she's an, they, they call her an Enchantress. It's like D.O.B. said, it's Enchantress the- is just white people witch. <laughs> You're a white people witch. <laughs> So I, I do I have come around to your theory, Mana, but the only the only hole I see in it is that there's no way they would ever be able to keep that a secret from the staff. Have you have you seen Downton Abbey? Everybody it's knows everything that goes on. Everybody I knows. haven't seen Downton Abbey because I'm not a giant douchebag. Why does it have to be a secret? Well that's the whole thing, is so that nobody knows that Chip is the well, son. See- but why it, can't had, it had to be a secret at first. They they had to at least act like it was a secret so that nobody you know, I imagine they have people in and out of the castle all the time. It's kind of a, a bit of a hub of royal activity. So they have to pretend that they don't know anything. They have to keep up the charade. But then by the time the spell is cast, the boy is already old enough that, I mean, they have to keep it going. They can't ruin his life like that. Oh, by the way, I'm not your real mom. True. So there. He's going to find out eventually, though, and that's going to make a hell of a sequel. I also think that the mother must still be, or must not have died in childbirth, just because then how would they know it's the beast baby? Because they just, they knew that she was pregnant. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, when no. a baby shows up on your doorstep about nine months after you found well, out, you know, the other up, members I mean, you put two and two together. Maybe she was a prostitute. Was she sleep around with lots of guys? How does the beast know it's his? Let's get this on Maury. I want to see that. <laughs> beast Wait a minute. Well, <laughs> well, no, because like Mana was saying, it needs to be an orgy in order to conceive someone, so there would have been other witnesses. Right. That's very true, Mana. Ugh. <sighs> Okay, Sarge, do you want to plug the name of your column now? Oh, the name of my column is No Hands with J.F. Sargent. It has a sweet new banner. I don't know when the banner is going up. Probably with my first official column on April 1st. I also have a blog, DocSarge.com, and a Twitter, 
which you can find Googling it. I'm like at JF Sergeant. There you go. Like you're going to remember that shit. <laughs> and man, if the people want to schedule a baby making orgy, how can they find you? Uh, you can get on the waiting list for my baby making orgies by uh, tweeting at me at mana underscore festo. And you can find me on Twitter at Raddy's Tuition. And also go to raddystuition.com find more of my writing there. And I don't know if we're on iTunes yet, but if we're on iTunes when this comes out, go and rate us and subscribe and do all that, all that fun stuff so that more people can listen to our dumb jokes. And I also want to give a special thanks to our composer, Kaylee McSwain, who you can find some of her handmade jewelry on her Etsy store at Silver Phoenix Art Studio. All right, kids. That's all for now. Say goodbye. Bye. Bye. I've been masturbating through this entire podcast.